man, I just, I just, I'm, I've been so excited leading up to this Sunday. Um, we're gathered together this morning with people all over the globe to celebrate the greatest event to ever happen to humanity. Amen? And God sent his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to live as a man, to die uh, a sinner's death on a cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, and then three days later, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Amen? Not only that, here's the good news, uh, it didn't stop there, uh, he went on tour. Um, he, uh, he walked with people, talked with people, ate with people, people touched him, he showed up to individuals in small groups and to large crowds, and uh, he hasn't stopped to this day. And so Easter changes everything, amen? Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited about uh, Easter Sunday. It is the crux, the climax of, of Christianity. It's what uh, makes everything possible and why we worship this, uh, this religious leader 2,000 years ago. Um, I, was, I was thinking about this. I was, I was in uh, Target, probably like many of you, this past week, and I was walking around and I was listening to a, uh, a conversation between two co-workers. And... Uh, there was a younger coworker and then kind of like a middle-aged coworker, and the younger guy says to the the middle-aged guy, he says, um, "Hey, man, I I followed you on Insta," and uh, which for those of you who don't know, that's how the young folk call um, the social media platform Instagram because they don't have time for the Instagram; it's just Insta. And so, um, anyway, the uh, the the middle-aged guy just kind of responded with like a it seemed like a guttural noise, um, like he was just going. Like, mm. I sound like more of a cow than a human. And so I, I was just kind of laughing. I'm just like, you know, milling around, looking for nothing because you don't need anything when you go into Target. You just leave with hundreds of dollars of things. And so, um, and then he's, he's still walking away and the young kid says to him, he's like, he goes, yeah, man. He goes, follow me back. <laughs> and yes, it did sound desperate. And, uh, and, and I, was, I was realizing as I was kind of like chuckling to myself underneath my mask, um, as I was walking away, the words of Jesus just kind of downloaded in my spirit in the middle of Target, and it was the words that Jesus used to call his first disciples. What did he say? He said, come, follow me. And I began to wonder, when Jesus calls us and he says, you know, come, come follow me, I, I often wonder if our response is, okay, I'll, I'll follow you, but follow me back. <laughs> now, I don't think we'd ever say that out loud, especially not in church, especially on Easter Sunday. We wouldn't say that out loud, but, but I wonder how many times we take it to the next level and we say to Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you follow me. Tim Keller wrote this, quote, I love it. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you may be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. <laughs> Happy Easter. Because <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing, the crux of Christianity, the thing that every single one of us, whether we're a believer, a seeker, a doubter, an investigator, whatever you consider yourself to be, we all have to struggle with this. Like, if I expect this God, this creator God, to follow me back, then I quickly run into this problem of who's leading who? who, who who's following who here? Like, how do I follow a God who I expect to follow me? 
Am I following a God, a creator God who created me in the breath that I'm breathing and everything that I think that I own? Or am I following a God that's created in my own image that looks and acts and responds a whole lot like, like, like me? Do I expect my God to follow me back as I follow him? And this has been kind of rocking me all week as I was listening to this conversation in Target. Um, because it's important for us to realize that Jesus didn't just say, come follow me, and then give some really good teachings and some good moral Judeo-Christian ethics from a really nice guy. Like he made some pretty ridiculously extreme claims. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like that is legit. Like that is not like a, hey, come follow me. I've got a lot of nice things to say about being a better person and sharing things. Like, he makes some extreme directive claims about following him, and it really leaves absolutely no room for, for Jesus to follow me back. In fact, I find that it's really difficult to be neutral about Jesus. It's really difficult because he didn't just say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, but that he says that he is and was the Son of God. And if he's not the Son of God, and especially if, if, if resurrection didn't happen, if Easter isn't true, then he is a delusional megalomaniac, and I would advise none of you to follow him. Really and truly. If you've got a friend who says this, please, it's time to unfriend, right? Like, this, 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 isn't, this isn't right. Because the resurrection, the day that we celebrate today, Easter Sunday, is the crux of the Christian faith. And this isn't just my opinion. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to hunker down in here today. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's reminding them just how significant, just how crucial the resurrection of Jesus Christ is. Because if the resurrection is true, then how we respond to Jesus has to be very different than how we respond to other people that we follow on Insta or any other historical character, or any other teacher, or any other founder of, of religion. If Easter's true, then following Jesus as long as he follows me back is absolutely absurd. If Easter is true, then, then, then Jesus is worthy of all of our glory and all of our honor and all of our worship. Like, this is, this is how significant it is. And Paul actually kind of has, like, he actually brings a little bit of a downer. He's like, look, if this isn't true, then, then there's a lot of things that we need to reconsider. I'll read it for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. He says, for what I received, uh, I pass on to you as of first importance. In other words, like this is utmost. This is the big deal. This is the first importance thing, right? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. And we can focus a lot. We just had Good Friday, and when some, many of you guys did the Seder, we had like 250 people online and 40 people in our student center. We had all kinds of you that took part in this Seder on, on, on Good Friday. And we, we talk, and we, we, we talk a lot about the cross and what Jesus did and how he died, but, but it is his resurrection that changes everything. It is Easter that changes everything. And I'm not just saying that, that it all makes sense or that you should just believe it because a guy like me with a microphone says that you should. 
or because it's written in a book that I believe to be the very words of God, I'm saying that, that each of us, whether we're a doubter, a seeker, an investigator, or a believer, like, we have to wrestle with the facts and the stories and the personal claims of this man that people knew, that they saw, and that they have been following for over 2,000 years. Like Easter, Easter changes everything. And, and this is what Paul says, it's, it's kind of sobering. Paul's argument is that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, number one, our faith is useless. Literally, it's what you're like, oh, that sounds a little harsh. No, he actually says it, verse, chapter 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So you're like, oh, that was a little rough, Justin. No, I'm, that's what Paul says. He says, our preaching is useless. In other words, you're all wasting your time. And, and, and so is your faith. He's saying that, that all of the great teaching that Jesus did, all the great things that Jesus did, all the great miracles that Jesus did are good, but that's not the end. And if they are the end, then it would be useless for you to be worshiping him after he died. He says, your preaching is useless and so is your faith. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then none of this matters. But if he did, but if he did, then all of it matters. Paul's saying, like, uh, either it's all true or, or, or none of it's true. He goes on in verse 15. He just kind of lays it out. He says, more than that? <laughs> We're all then found to be false witnesses. Another word for a false witness is a liar. He's like, more than that, you're all liars about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. He's saying that if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, we are believing a lie. That's sobering as well. And we can kind of tell from like, if you read through 1 Corinthians, that these Corinthians, the, the, the church was kind of struggling with maybe some doubts and struggling with their faith. They'd obviously heard the gospel, come to faith in Jesus and been born again, but then life happens. I don't know if you can relate that you came to Jesus and then life happened. Uh, the divorce happened, the the, the, the failure happened, the thing, and we all get to that place in life. Like maybe, I don't know what was happening with the Corinthian church. Maybe they were getting mocked publicly for their faith. Maybe for you, your philosophy professor in college laughed at you for believing in the myth of Jesus Christ, the schizophrenic guy that you would believe that he was the, the savior of the world. Like maybe you learned about the Spanish Inquisition and the Crusades and all the horrible things that have been done in the name of religion and that it's the opiate of the masses and you kind of got a little disillusioned. Maybe a, a pastor or a leader you know, failed you in some way. Maybe you watched that Netflix documentary about maybe Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Maybe he was just kind of like in a weird coma for a bit. And you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know. But life happens. Things happen in between. And either way, Paul just like wades right into the center of all of our doubts and all of our questions. And he can't speak for what people have done in the name of religion. And he can't speak as to why that person failed you and why that all, the, all that happened. But he's reminding you, like, look, guys, look, if we take away the resurrection, then you take away Christianity. And this all becomes a ruse, a weird belief system at best, and a, and a lie. Um, just, I mean, it is like sobering how he lays this out. Then he goes on, he keeps going. He says, verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Just in case you didn't get it, it's useless and futile. You are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died, are lost. And, if, and only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. 
He's saying if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no hope in this life. Paul is uh, Paul's just laying it out there. Church, can I remind you on this Easter Sunday that we do not worship an inspirational dead guy? Please don't ever think that we do. We worship a risen king. Amen? Can I, can I remind you on this Easter morning that we do not just hold to some religion taught by, by a, a good moral leader. Christ did not die to uphold Judeo-Christian ethics. He died to set people free. Do not mistake the teachings of Jesus and the good moral ethics that are taught and you should share and don't smoke, drink, or chew or go with girls who do with the fact that Jesus is still setting people free. He is still resetting hearts. He is still setting the captives free. That's why he died, amen? amen. And it is this resurrection that we celebrate today that made a way where there was absolutely no way for you. And, th and that's for today. It's not for the sweet by and by when I'll fly away, oh glory. It is for today. It is real freedom right now. Today. It is the resurrection power that, that, that literally believers can walk in to expect God to move, that sicknesses are healed and deaf ears are open and Addiction looses its hold on people and sin is forgiven for today. Not only in the sweet by and by, but, but for the today is your day of salvation. And then he continues in verse 32. He says, if the dead are not raised, let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He's like, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then everything is meaningless. Everything's meaningless. Because when life has no meaning, you end up worshiping at the altar of your own comfort. Which is why kind of the greatest thing that we say today in our culture is, you do you. You do, I'll do me, you do you. Why? Because I'm worshiping at the altar of my own comfort. Now, after all, God died so that I could be happy and you could be happy. So you do you and, and I'll do me. And what we find is that it's really a dead end. That if all you have to put your faith in is yourself, you're going to find out very quickly, if you haven't already found out, that you're not very good at being God. <laughs> you, you, you kind of fail on the whole God front. But what if Jesus did rise from the dead? Like what, what if the resurrection is true? What does that mean for you then? How does that mean that you respond to Jesus when he says, come follow me? And it's like, oh, I'll follow you as long as you follow me. Like, if Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, what does that mean for you and for me? Verse 21, he says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Paul is saying, if Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, then we are made alive through him. Like we are made alive through him. There is something. John 10.10, 10, Jesus actually says, I have, came that, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. That we are made alive, not just surviving, but he came to give us abundant life. Not just to get by, not just to survive, not just to be alive, but to thrive in this life. 
and it is through the resurrection that Jesus gives new life. It's through his death, burial, and resurrection that we find the new life that is available to us. And Paul continues in verse 23. He says, but each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, verse 24, then the end will come when, the, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, all authority, and all power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Can I remind you on this Easter Sunday that if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, if the resurrection is true, then hope has a name. It's more than a mindset. It's more than than a Zen time. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. (laughs) Easter changes everything. Easter changes everything. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is through Jesus Christ and his life, that, the life that we're living and, and the death that is sure to come to every single one of us, that the promise that this is not the end. That there is more, that hope has a name and it is through the resurrection that Jesus conquered death and the grave. It is through resurrection that we have the promise of eternal life with Jesus. And that this is the beauty of how Easter changes everything. And not only that, Paul says that if if Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, then he's not only worthy of of following, he's worthy of our worship. Easter changes everything. Now, for those of you who are still kind of like on the fence, you're kind of like, I I know, but but I wasn't there. I didn't see Jesus. I haven't eaten with him. I haven't touched him. I, I, maybe you've experienced him and, and maybe you haven't. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time and you're kind of like, I'm trying to do the right thing and do, the good, do good things. Maybe this is your first time. Somebody invited you to church and you're like, I, I don't really know how I, how I feel about this whole Jesus thing. Um, I want to just take a moment and I'm going to read through the gospel account. This is Easter Sunday. We've got to read through, through the Easter morning, John's account of Easter morning. And as we read this, I just want you to just take into, into consideration the fact that um, There are some things that are written in this gospel account that if you were making it up, you wouldn't write it in there. Because, or you would have written it a whole lot better. I could have written it a whole lot better, right? Because what? When we make stuff up, if this is a figment of the imagination, if the resurrection really isn't true, if the Netflix documentary is true, maybe he was in some sort of weird coma and it actually didn't happen. If it's, if it really didn't happen and you're making it up, you would have written it a whole lot better. If I were making it up, there would be like laser sharks and there would be Jesus with superhuman strength kicking the stone out of the way and it would just be, it would be epic. It would be like an Avengers movie. And This is an awkward account. It's almost as if when you read down through this, you're going to find that it's almost as if they're kind of like, yeah, so um, this is kind of how it happened. Not really proud of it, but we're just going to just kind of wrote it the way it happened. It didn't seem really well planned out, but this is it. So here, John chapter 20, verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been moved from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. I want you to just pause here for a second before we move on. I want you to realize that her only reaction to Jesus' body missing is that she assumes the body was stolen. 
She wasn't going there like, it's Resurrection Sunday, it's Easter morning. She's like, I can't wait to not see Jesus because he rose from the dead, just like I said he would. Oh, he'll... No, she walks literally to the tomb, ready to kind of like treat the, the dead body of Jesus. She assumes that he's dead. Nobody was expecting nobody. And so she assumes that, 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 that either the grave robbers had stolen or the Romans had taken the body. And I, I want you to just see this, that nobody was expecting anything other than a dead body in a tomb, even the followers of Jesus. But again, maybe that's just how it happened. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Um, I always love how the writer of this gospel, John, and I've mentioned this before, um, he, he refers to himself. He doesn't, he's very humble. And so he doesn't like to refer to himself as John, the writer of the gospel. He refers to himself as the other disciple. And in verse 2, you can look back just a, a verse. He, he, his other favorite term for himself is the disciple Jesus loved. Because he's humble. And... Um, even in the midst of, of telling the story of the greatest event to ever happen to humanity, John cannot help himself but to report to all of you that he beat Peter in a race. So just in case you're all wondering, he's like, yeah, so this is kind of how it happened, but just want you to know, I, like, I touched the tomb first, made it there because Peter's slow, and so I beat him. You can move on, but I just, you know, just want to make sure the disciple whom Jesus loved touched the tomb first, in my humble opinion. And so... Um, but maybe that's just how it happened. Verse 5. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. It seemed like forever, right? And um, he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, that'd be me, um, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. When, he, when John writes this, he says, like, he saw and believed. What does that mean? Does it mean that he saw and believed that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? No. I mean, I'd like to say that, but... And actually, from the context of it, it, it really just means that he saw that there was nobody, no, nobody, and then it means that he finally believed that the woman wasn't lying, and her story was true, that the body was missing. So he saw and believed. None of them were even thinking about Jesus rising from the dead, which is kind of weird because he told them three times. We talked about this last week. If he were making up this story, I don't know. If I were making up this story, I would have said something in my humble opinion of, and the disciple whom Jesus loved knew it, right? Jesus had indeed risen from the dead, just like he told me when he was giving me my merit badge and telling me I was his favorite. Like, he knew it. I knew it, right? You're writing this after the fact. You just kind of like, you're your own editorial. Like, you just, I, I knew this. Jesus had said it. And, and that is not, but maybe that's just how it happened. Maybe that's just how it happens. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. It's like they come in, linen, no body. Do you guys see the body anywhere? Is it, high, is it under here? No, I don't see it. 
I guess we'll go back for breakfast. I'm hungry. What? Like, no jelly beans? No egg scavenger hunt? No, no, no party? No resurrection party? Nobody like, we should call this Easter. Nothing. It's like, we should probably go back. I'm, I'm famished. Mary stays, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. (laughs) She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, Rabbi. So Jesus shows up to Mary. I mean, this is proof, proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. To which some of you who are doubting or are questioning are thinking, ah, is that really? I mean, some woman who I don't really trust, and she saw him. She thought he was the gardener. Like, am I supposed to trust this, that, like, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because he shows up to some woman who, who, who didn't even recognize him? It just seems kind of, of shoddy at best. And here's the thing. This is when things get difficult to start debunking the resurrection because the resurrection doesn't end there. If it ended there, I could understand. It would be like, yeah, you know, I mean, she was like, oh, it's the gardener. Sir, where have you put him? It, it doesn't end there, though. Jesus keeps showing up all over the place. We can read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4. Jesus was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that this is Paul, after the fact, talking about who Jesus appeared to. He says, he appeared to Cephas, Peter, the guy who made it second to the um, tomb, and then, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some of them have fallen asleep, some of them have died. In other words, like if you don't believe me, there's like 500 and maybe 450 people now at this point that are still alive. You should go ahead and ask them because they all saw him in a big crowd and Jesus showed up there. And then it says in verse seven, then he appeared to James, who is Jesus's half brother. I just want you to imagine how hard it would be for you to convince your brother, let alone your half brother, that you're the Messiah. Kind of a hard, hard deal, right? You kind of have to die and come back from the dead. For your half-brother to be like, yep, he was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. I believe him. He goes on. Then to the apostles, and last of all to me, Paul, the writer, also, as to one abnormally born. The problem with disproving the resurrection is all of those danged eyewitnesses. That's the difficulty. So many eyewitnesses that, like, the, that even unbelievers knew that it was true. You can read through um, authorities and, and historians, and none of them are like, hey, would you all just quit lying about Jesus rising from the dead? We all know that you're lying. Nobody says that because it was pretty much common knowledge. 
And not only that, 10 out of the remaining 11 disciples end up dying martyrs' deaths, most of them horrific. And one of them was exiled to a prison island of Patmos to die at an old age when he wrote the book of Revelation. These men went to death still holding passionately and unwaveringly to this truth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and I saw him alive. I saw him. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you threaten me with. I can't recant what I saw with my own eyes. He showed up and changed everything. I saw him alive. You can't convince me otherwise. And they were willing to be persecuted and tortured and killed for a lie? For a lie. You think that out of those 500 brothers and sisters that supposedly were eyewitnesses and saw Jesus all together, you think that one of them, over the course of maybe their 50 years left to live, that they would be like, okay, fine. You know what? It was all a big lie. It was a big deal. We got together. We, we said, you know, hey, we all saw him, didn't we? Yep, match up our stories. We're all good. Let's keep this hoax going, guys. And in the, in the, in the point of being tortured or something, would say, okay, 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 okay. It didn't actually happen. Fine, this is not worth risking my life over. For a lie? But we don't see that. Like instead of hiding, instead of uh, cowering and trying to keep a hoax up and match up stories, these people preached with boldness and with power about the risen Jesus. And now healings and signs and wonders are happening, stuff that Jesus did as they are preaching in the name of Jesus. And we gather today to proclaim with people all across the globe that Jesus Christ is still encountering people today. Today. I'm only here because I encountered him personally. I would not be doing what I'm doing just to check a box so that I don't go to hell. He wants to encounter every single one of us, and not just a one-and-done time, but he wants to encounter you daily. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to be celebrating communion. I can't think of a better way, a better time to celebrate communion than on Easter Sunday. So if you came in and you got one of these uh, little communion packets, start working on that piece of cellophane now. Um, If you're at home with us today, Grab some juice, some crackers, whatever you've got around. I'd love for you to just take part in, um, in communion with us today. My prayer is that um, as we celebrate communion today, that, that every single one of us would encounter Jesus. As we remember and celebrate his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the life that he made available to us, that, that hope has a name and that his name is Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, for I, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he was prophesying to them about what he was going to be doing. He says, this is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Lord God, I thank you for what your death, your burial, and most importantly, of first importance, your resurrection. I thank you that you made a way where there was absolutely no way. I thank you that you are still encountering us today. Whether you're here this morning or maybe you're joining us online today, um, maybe you've been questioning, maybe you're investigating, maybe you're doubting. Maybe you've been in this place where you're like, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you follow me. <laughs> I think we fall into a lot. If you feel the God drawing you today, of just saying, come follow me. And you realize that, that this life that we're living and the death that is surely to come to every single one of us is not the end and that Christ made a way for you. I just, can I just encourage you that God wants to encounter you fresh today. And it was, it was only through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that God changes our life, that he sets people free, that sins are forgiven, that addictions are loosed, that healing comes and deliverance is true. It's only through Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to walk out of here today and go and eat some ham without the opportunity for you to encounter Jesus Christ personally. So if you feel God drawing you today, I want to just pray a prayer with you. It's the same prayer that I prayed when I first encountered Jesus Christ the summer before my ninth grade year of high school. When I finally came to the point with a bunch of weird Christians around me telling me about Jesus and the relationship that they had with him. And I literally said, if this is true and you're not crazy, then I want it. What do I have to do? And I just prayed a simple prayer and it was more about my heart and where I was at, just realizing that I'd come to the end of myself and it was the beginning of Christ. And so I just want to, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. And if you would, even if you've been a Christian for 40 years, if you pray this prayer out loud with me, as just kind of a renewal of the decision that you've made in your own life. There's nothing magic about it. It's just a moment. So maybe you get into a place of just receiving Jesus Christ, whatever that looks like for you. And you could just repeat after me, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need a savior. I believe that you are the son of God, that you came and died and that you were buried and that you rose again so that I could have more and better life. And I repent today of my sins and I ask you right now that you would come into my life. And I choose today to follow you 
wherever you lead me. I give you control and I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide me and empower me to live this life after you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to say welcome to the family. We just give, it, give those a round of applause this morning. Here's the thing. If you're here and you prayed that prayer with us, this is what I want to encourage you to do. We've got a prayer team right over here against this wall. We've got a free Bible, some information for you. I'd love for you to stop over there before you leave. Just let them know, hey, Pastor Justin said me to stop by over here. We'd love to pray with you. If you have a prayer need in any area of your life, maybe you need a heart reset, maybe you need some healing in in an area of your life, in any area, I want you to not leave this place without being ministered to. So we've got a team right over here. We'd love to just pray over you, pray God into your situation. Don't leave this place without that opportunity. And I'll be back in our Connect Corner. If you're new here, this is your first time, I'd love to personally shake your hand, greet you. Thank you for coming to New Life. And I want to say... Happy Easter. Amen? Happy Resurrection Sunday. Have a blessed week in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.